please turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, and to verse 44. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, and verse 44. Just a single verse, one of the very short parables of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Very short, a very simple story. A man in a field digging finds some treasure. He covers it. He goes, recognizing the value of the treasure. He goes and sells everything he possesses, so that he can buy that field and own that treasure and benefit from it. And what I'm going to do this morning with you is ask of this parable three simple questions and seek to draw, as we ask those questions, some help for us regarding our standing before God, our attitude towards the blessings of the gospel and all that our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done in suffering and dying upon the cross. The first question, I admit, does have a second aspect to it, but they're very simple questions in their way. Well, let's begin immediately. Here's the first of my questions. What is the treasure? And the follow-up is, why is it hidden? We read that uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. What is the treasure, what's pictured by the treasure here? And why is it hidden? What can that teach us? Well, surely the treasure is an emblem, a picture of all the blessings of the gospel. And that's a word that you would need to use to describe the wonderful blessings that are associated with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the wonderful blessings that come from seeking him from coming into a relationship with him. It's like finding treasure. Treasure beyond our wildest dreams. Treasure that it's impossible to convey without experiencing. The blessings of forgiveness. The blessings of a new heart. The blessings of changed aspirations. And a different outlook entirely upon life. A different, a great blessing in the sense that our mind is opened to spiritual things. Things to us which were a closed book before that meant nothing to us. And we had no genuine explanation for life and all its realities. Now our mind is set free and spiritual things and God's explanation means so much to us. And that helps us and holds us through life. The blessings of the gospel bring us into a new family. Or oh, we have family ties. We have those ties of blood which mean so much to us and those whom we love. But in the gospel, we're brought into a family far greater, far more wonderful. We may belong to a nation. We may be part of an empire. But when we have experience the blessings of the gospel, we become part of an empire which is everlasting, that transcends all borders, 
and you can meet a family member from this kingdom, another member of this kingdom from another country, and you may not be able to share much because your language is different, but there'll be a bond. There'll be a tie that joins you to them. These are all part of the blessings of the gospel. Oh, and I forgot to mention, eternal life. This ushers us into an experience of eternal life. It begins here and now, the moment of our conversion, but we're ushered more fully into it at the end of our life. And on that great day, when our Savior returns to this earth in glory and in judgment, we go to be with him and enter a realm, the experience of which is impossible for us even to begin to scratch the surface of. And the images, the pictures we have in the Bible are all that we can really take and understand of the glories that await us. No wonder the kingdom of heaven is described as treasure. The blessings of the gospel are so great. But that word, the treasure, it encompasses also the infinite value of the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That's the treasure as well. In one sense, that is the entirety of the treasure because without him, we could never be brought into an experience of those things about which I've spoken. It's because he came, the second person of the Godhead, who was under no obligation to us at all and could have consigned each and every member of the human race to a lost eternity. Yet out of his great love, that love of which we've sung, he entered into this world. Our minds can scarce comprehend begin to understand what that meant, that God himself should be compressed into the form of a baby born in Bethlehem. He came to live a life of righteousness, but he came ultimately to suffer and to die upon the cross of Calvary. And there, his sacrifice, as he hung there upon the cross, and God put upon him my guilt and your guilt if you come to know him and punished him in our place or oh, the value of that sacrifice an eternity of woe born in a few hours so that we could be set free laid in the grave taking death the final consequence of sin for us laid in the tomb but rising again victorious so that we know that his, uh, his sacrifice was accepted on our behalf. That is a treasure. It is the only hope for the human soul, the sacrifice and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, so many things are uh, brought into this term treasure. No wonder it's described as a treasure. But then we ask, well, why is it in the parable described as hidden? The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. Well, certainly, if you go back to Old Testament times, 
when the Lord dealt with Israel as a chosen people, yes, in, in many senses, the treasure was hidden. There was a measure of obscurity. And the children of Israel, they were given a, a ceremonial system to follow. They were given a whole panoply of uh, sacrifices that had to be made. And each of those contained the seed of the gospel, this treasure, but in a somewhat obscure fashion. Those who were spiritually minded, those who were uh, deeply concerned for their sin and understood that these sacrifices themselves could achieve nothing, but that they must look to the promise of the Messiah to come, saw in all of that an emblem, a picture, a visual aid of what the Saviour would accomplish. And then when we add to those the prophecies that, that were made all the way through the Old Testament, the promise of the one to come, the Lamb that would take away the sin of the world, all these, these things, they were all there. And with New Testament light, as we look back, to us, these things seem very clear. And yet to those who were there, there was a, a measure of obscurity. But now Jesus Christ has come and he has fulfilled to the letter all of the prophecies regarding his sufferings and death so that men and women, young people, can be saved and set free from their sins. These things are now openly declared. The New Testament has been written and the preaching of the gospel brings these things clearly before mankind. So yes, we can understand that in time past, these things were hidden. But you know, even today, these things are hidden. I read for our scripture reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in verse 3, uh, the apostle Paul is led to say, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And he speaks of the enemy of, the, of souls, obscuring things from us. And in our native state, that's true. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Yes, the gospel remains hidden to us. And all three aspects of the way in which it's hidden are encapsulated in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. It's hidden in one sense, and maybe uh, chiefly because of our own sinful nature. We are blind because we're willfully blind. And we have this settled uh, unbelief of anything that questions our manner of life and cause us to humble ourselves before our God. It speaks of the world, and the world is very attractive to us, and we would rather look horizontally than to look up. We would rather confine our thinking to the things of time and of sense and of space than consider our souls and matters of eternity. Then, of course, we know that the enemy of souls is active and he too uh, blinds our minds to these things, distracts us, persuades us 
puts doubts in our minds. All of these forces are conspiring to uh, hide the gospel, this treasure, from us even in our day. I'm sure you've heard the expression, you can't see the wood for the trees. And that's what it's like for us with the matter of the gospel. It's very clear and it's all around us. The word of God it makes these things very plain to human soul. The terms of the gospel are very straightforward. And yet we can't see the wood for the trees. Or you might uh, have heard the, the phrase hidden in plain sight. So when someone is in a crowd and you can't see them, even though they're not trying to hide, well, the gospel is not attempting to be hidden, but we can't see it. We don't have eyes to sense or to see or to value the treasure that is contained in it. So what is the treasure and why is it hid? Well, the treasure is all the blessings of the gospel and it's hid because of our wicked, sinful nature. It's hid because we're distracted by the things of this world. It's hidden because the enemy of our souls is active in trying to prevent us from ever taking seriously the claims of this old book. But then we come to our second question. And it's a strange question in some ways, but it's very helpful and may be useful to some here. What on earth was this man doing in that field? The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. Well, what was he doing there? Why was he in the field? And to my mind, there are two possibilities, two reasons why he may have been in that field and may have come across that treasure. And the first of them is this. Perhaps there was a local legend or there was some kind of something on the local gossip that said, there is a treasure that's hidden locally. And having heard that there is this treasure to be found, it kind of captivated him. And he now, this was his life's goal. And he actively spent his time searching for this treasure. And eventually he found it. Well, you know, that could be just like one of us here this morning. It may be that someone has spoken to us about the gospel of Jesus Christ and something about what they say seems to suggest that there is some value in this message uh, that, is, that comes to us in the Bible, the word of God. And we have a desire now, a sincere desire to investigate the claims of the faith. And so we come perhaps to a service of worship like this. And we're all ears. Is this real? Is there something deeper? Is there something beyond what I've experienced in my life? And we're seekers after truth. Well, uh, one of the things that I do in the summer is I take some teenagers away for a camp. And while we're away, we have a treasure hunt. And on one of the days, uh, the treasure Someone goes out and hides it, and we set up a sequence of clues. And of course, 
the clues are relatively difficult. They have to think a little so that they can follow and they can track from one clue to the next and to the next until eventually they come to the place where the treasure is hidden. But you know, those clues, they're not designed to obscure. Or, or yes, they may have to think just a little, but they're not designed so that no one ever finds the treasure. Our great desire is that they should actually come across the treasure. And if they follow those clues carefully, they will find the treasure that has been left for them to uncover. And you know, it's exactly the same in the matter of the gospel. And it almost comes with the level of being a promise. If we are sincere, if we are seekers after the truth, if we go to God and we're prepared to listen to him, all the clues are there. And God has not hidden this treasure so that it can never be found. Or perhaps only the finest intellects can ever stumble across it. But no, he sees to it that those who sincerely seek the truth, the reality about their souls and about what Christ has done, will find. And my encouragement to you this morning if that describes you, is to keep seeking, keep asking, or come to us and ask us. If you have a doubt or a question, we'll try our best to help you. We'll try, as it were, uh, to unpick the clue that you're currently grappling with and point you on towards finding that treasure. We can't uncover it for you. We can't take you there exactly ourselves. It has to be found as an individual. But if you are sincerely seeking, you will find in due time. So that's one possibility as to what he was doing in the field. Actually, I think probably far more likely is the second possibility. And that may certainly describe someone here. The other op option is that he may have been a very poor man. He didn't own this field. It wasn't his. When he found the treasure, he had to go and buy the field so that he had the right and the title to the treasure it contained. My thinking is that he was very poor. He didn't have land of his own and he was forced to work for somebody else. And in my mind's eye, I have him there and he's worked all his lifetime in that field. He has ploughed and he has sown and he has weeded and he has harvested year after year after year in that field, working for his master. And you know, what that means is that time after time he was so close to that treasure. He was standing right next to it only a few weeks ago, blissfully unaware that what was below his feet was something of such immense value. And now you might say almost by chance, he stumbles across that treasure. Does that describe someone here? Does that describe you this morning? Or oh, you come to church every single week. It's as though you're in the field, you're next to the treasure and the treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is set before you clearly week after week after week and yet you never realize the treasure that is within your grasp how close you are to all those blessings that we've described well i wonder what his reaction was when he stumbled upon the treasure no doubt it would have been wrapped up in some way one of the programs i watch on tv is called Aussie Gold Hunters. Don't know if any of the rest of you watch that programme. But these are uh, people in Australia that go out into the outback with their metal detectors. And there they are, they go and they sweep them across the ground, hoping to pick up a signal and to dig up a nugget of gold. And of course they're wise, they don't just go randomly into the middle of nowhere. Most often they'll go to places where those that they call the old timers uh, had found gold. They knew that there was gold to be found in those places. And out they would go and they scan their metal detector across the ground. They pick up a signal and they begin to dig. But time after time as they dig, they pull up an old can, a bit of waste, a bit of refuse that the old timers had just simply discarded or had buried just under the surface and they have disappointment after disappointment. But then they go again, another signal, and they dig it up and it's a can. And initially they're so disappointed, but they feel the weight of it. And what they find is that contained in that unpromising looking can that's rusty, and deteriorating inside that can are some nuggets that an old timer has found and presumably hidden thinking to come back and to pick them up later on but never returned and they find a treasure that more than they would have got for a whole month's work in one go you know it can be a bit like that with us we stumble across the gospel of Jesus Christ and when we first see it, when we first appreciate it, to us it might look like that deteriorating can that's all rusty and old. We think about the gospel and to our first sight, it doesn't appear very much at all. Do you mean to tell me that something that happened 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture to my own, is going to change and transform my life now and for eternity. It just doesn't seem as though that makes sense. But when you open the canister, when you take it seriously, when you feel the weight of it, when you feel all that the, the is accomplished by the Saviour and all its depths and its reality, suddenly the riches of that treasure dawns upon your mind. And you see that this is the only thing that you must have for the eternal security of your soul. Oh, look past the preachers. We often don't do a very good job of presenting the gospel. We can sometimes cause more hindrances than helps in bringing people to faith. Look past us. Look past our foolishness in trying to portray these things and almost running out of words to 
show the beauty and the wonder of Christ's sacrifice, but see the reality that is behind these things. Look past the frailties of Christians that you know, who perhaps are inconsistent. I know a Christian, and if he's an example of what it is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, sadly, we all let the Lord down. We all do things that we shouldn't. We're not the best examples of what these blessings do in a human life. Look past those things and look at the reality. Seek Christ, a sight of him, a knowledge of him. He is the treasure that you must possess. So that's the second question. We've asked, what was the treasure and why was it hidden? Why was he in the field in the first place? But now we come to an even stranger third question. And it's this. Isn't there something dodgy going on here? Think about the story. This man in a field discovers a treasure. The field belongs to someone else. Shouldn't he take that treasure to the owner and say, look what I found? The owner might have been quite kind and given him something, but no. He hides it quickly, perhaps furtively looking around. Has anyone seen? Has anyone observed me? Uh, has anyone seen what I'm about to do? I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to make it look as if that ground was never disturbed at all. I'll tell no one about this. I'm going to go off. And I'm going to sell all that I have so that I can buy that field. It seems almost, almost dodgy, a dodgy enterprise. Do you know, this may help someone here this morning. We're told in the parable that for joy thereof, anticipating the blessings that he could enjoy if he were but to own this treasure, he hideth it, goeth and selleth all that he hath to buy that field. He knows the value of these things now. He can't just take it. If he were to take it, everyone in the district would know that he was relatively poor. How have you come up with these riches? Why are you now so well off? He couldn't do that. If he was to possess that treasure, he had to have full right and title to it. So the only way was for him to purchase the field. Oh, every parable fails a little to some extent. But you know, this can be true of us. When first we have a real sight of Jesus Christ, when first we see the value of the blessings that he has secured for those who come to him, you know, to us, it can seem as though we're almost cheating the Lord. Is it really true that he would do all this for me and that all I have to do is bring my sins? All I have to do is confess my sins and repent of them and ask him for blessings and he'll give me all those blessings. And what am I giving him? Nothing but the load of my sin. And for some, that's an obstacle, a block to coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But you know, in the picture, we can read into the, uh, the owner of the field, can perhaps almost see what's going on and smiles quietly to himself. How glad he is that that labourer has found that treasure. How pleased he is when he comes and uh, brings him all that he owns. Perhaps not very much at all, uh, because he knows he's going to benefit from that treasure. Well, so it is with our God. The blessings are to be had to us at so little cost. Just bring your sins. Confess them before him. Give up all hope of anything else beside. Trust alone in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And that exchange, which seems almost unreasonable, almost as though you're cheating your God, he looks down with great kindness and loves to bestow those blessings upon you. And as you do, you receive full right and title to every one of the blessings that we've described. They become mine because Christ is mine. They become mine because he has suffered and died for me. They become mine because he died in my place. My sins were paid for upon the cross. And I can openly share with everyone that I have received these wonderful blessings. It's a very short parable, but it is so full. What is the treasure and why was it hidden? Why was he in the field? Isn't there something unethical here? But in the gospel, God loves to bestow those blessings and all we have to bring are our sins. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a seeker, continue to seek. If you discover the gospel, don't look at the wrapping, look at the hidden reality, the value of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then be prepared to give up everything, all your sin, confess it all, and he will receive you, and you'll receive that great treasure. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for the simplicity of the stories Jesus told, but of their great depth and the profound realities of which they speak. O oh Lord, we pray that every one of us here would be seekers after truth and that even the message this morning may have pointed the way for some to discover that treasure that is found ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be for some a time of turning to him. We ask this for his sake and in his name. Amen.